So this summer, we've been looking at a passage in the Bible that comes from a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We've been looking at this same passage from a, a number of different angles, and this is what it says. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So the body of Christ, this passage is talking about, is the body that's created from every person who has placed their hope and their trust, their faith in Jesus for this life and the life to come. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of those people go together in this one body, the body of Christ. They're unified into this body. I'm guessing that God knew what a beautiful mess he was making when he gave his one and only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Because whosoever means whosoever. Whosoever means that, that you and I don't get to choose who's part of God's family. God's family. We don't get to choose those things. So I like to use my imagination in creative ways from time to time. So imagine with me for just a moment that this Lego set here represents the body of Christ that Paul was writing to in Corinth. This Lego set here is made up of 747 pieces, 747 individual parts. And if this is representing the body of Christ, then each of those parts, they represent a person, a person who's placed their faith and their hope in Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And then all of these parts go together to make this one Ninjago guy. They are together in one body. Some of the parts of this Ninjago guy are big, and some of them that are small. Some of them you can see, and actually most of them you can't see. Now imagine with me for a moment that, that this shoulder here, one day, starts looking around at the other parts of the body, and that shoulder gets a glimpse of the leg. And for some reason, that shoulder starts to get this sense that it matters more than the leg. That shoulder starts to think it's superior to some of the other parts. It has this puffed up arrogance that happens because somehow in the shoulder's perspective, its own perspective, it starts to think that it matters more than that leg does. Or imagine the leg starts looking around and the leg glances at the arm. And when the leg sees the arm, the leg cannot stop looking at that arm. All the leg can think about is how much it wants to be an arm. It just wants to be an arm, so it keeps staring. And over time, that leg actually stops behaving like a leg. And it starts behaving like an arm because it wants to be an arm. It stops the function it was created for and starts to, to try to function like something that it wasn't created for. I know in a lot of ways this sounds ridiculous. When we hear these things and, and we look at this Ninjago guy, 
we can see how for the body to be complete, the leg needs to be the leg. The body will suffer if that leg stops being a leg. The, the body is incomplete. And yet, as ridiculous as that is, if you could imagine me taking this apart, which I can't, and trying to put it back together, I could put it back together in a way it was never created to be, but I could never get it the way it is. And this leg could never be an arm. But sometimes, body parts start to compare themselves to one another. And this is exactly what's happening in the church in Corinth when Paul writes this letter. The people there knew that the body was made up of these diverse parts because this church was located in a very diverse area. So the body of Christ was diverse. And then, before long, those parts start looking around at one another. And for some reason, some of them determined that they mattered more than some of the other parts. They decided that they felt this sense of superiority for one reason or another. But here's the thing. We've all done this. We have all looked around and compared ourselves to the people around us. There's just something inside of us that wants to know our worth, that wants to know the value that we have. And so we start comparing ourselves to the people we see around us. We start comparing all sorts of things. We wonder how we compare to the person in the cubicle next to us. We compare ourselves to the person who's in the office down the hall. We compare ourselves to the mom who lives in the neighborhood next to ours, or the dad who's in the carpool line. We compare things like our finances. We compare where we take vacation, how many bedrooms are in our house. We compare the size of our pants. We are constantly in this comparison mode. We even compare our walk with Jesus. We compare our past, our successes, and our failures. We are constantly looking around to measure ourselves against one another. And as long as we are better than that guy, or as long as we are better than, than that gal, then somehow we think that we're okay. We tell ourselves that, that we're okay because as long as we're better or smarter or richer or skinnier, then somehow we convince ourselves that we are good. But you and I both know that comparison is rarely neutral. Comparison leads to feelings of superiority or inferiority. And when those feelings start to creep in, suddenly, right behind it, comes disunity and division. And then other things start to take root as well. Things like fear, things like pride, jealousy, envy, insecurity. Those things come along when we start comparing. Let's look back at this Ninjago guy for, for just a second. So in God's economy, every part of the body matters. Every single part. Every part is significant. And in God's economy, the body 
the Lego set comes already assembled. It comes assembled because when we place our faith in Jesus, we become part of a body that's already established. It's established by the Holy Spirit in love. Our role isn't to build unity. Our role is to maintain it, to preserve the unity that comes with being a part of the body. That's our role. Because there is one God. There is one hope. There is one faith. One God, a spirit that unites us. And none of us did anything to build that. We've done nothing to build the body of Christ because the work that was done on the cross was God's work alone. Only he could do the work that was done on the cross. And yet he invites us that we do have a role to play. In the unity that he created, we have a role to play, and our role is to maintain that which God has created, to live our lives in such a way that we maintain unity. When we compare the parts of the body, we go from this beautiful mess where our differences draw us to each other, and we start moving towards this dysfunctional mess where our differences start to separate us. We start to move away from each other when we're dysfunctional. And then in that dysfunction, we start to create lines. We start to draw lines that were never meant to be there. We draw lines between individuals and between groups of people that God never meant to be there because comparison divides and it keeps us from loving God and from loving others. In the world that we live in, comparison happens literally from the day we're born. We're born and we get measured, our weight and our height. But not only do we get measured, we get compared to every other baby that's ever been born in the whole world to decide how we compare to them. And then we enter school and as we're working through our academics, again, not only are we graded, not only are we measured, but in the world we live, we are then compared to everyone else who's ever taken that test. We live in a world that's filled with comparisons. But listen to the heart that Jesus has for his body. On the last night of his life, he was spending some time with his disciples and he prayed these words. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
Jesus has this picture of what, of what unity looks like. And comparison kills that kind of unity. Comparison kills the kind of unity that Jesus envisions for his body. But I'm really grateful for Paul because in one of the letters that he wrote, he helps us to understand what our role is in maintaining that unity when he writes these words, that we are to bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love binds us together in unity. And that's the kind of unity that Jesus has in mind for his body. To keep this beautiful mess from becoming a dysfunctional mess, we have to put on love. We have to continually put on love. We can ask ourselves day after day or year after year, is my love for God increasing? Is my love for others increasing? Because God says in his word that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So again, we can ask ourselves, is my love for God increasing? And is my love for the people around me increasing as well? Followers of Jesus turn away from the selfish ambitions that all of us have, those selfish desires, not because they're better than, not because any of that, but because of love. Love is the motivation that helps us to turn away from those selfish desires. But here's the thing about love. Love always requires a sacrifice. Love always requires sacrifice. It doesn't require that we sacrifice truth, but it does require that we sacrifice other things like self-centeredness, comparison, pride, and preferences. There are things that love requires us to sacrifice. Love sacrifices pride and this temptation to look around at one another and create this puffed up sense of superiority. Love sacrifices pride for humility. Love sacrifices the temptation that we have to look around and to measure ourselves against one another, to measure our value and our worth by looking at our neighbors. And instead, love seeks to grow in its understanding of who God is and who God says that we are, because God wants us to know him. He wants us to know his heart for us and for one another. So one of the ways that God reveals himself, one of the ways that, that we can grow in our understanding is by, is by reading the word, 
by spending time there is one of those ways that, that he reveals himself. And so there's this passage of scripture that, that I've gone to over the years in different seasons of my life. And as I go to this passage, it speaks something different to me each time. Every time I go to it, I learn something new about God and I learn something new about me. So most recently, this passage has helped me to navigate a season that's been filled with distractions. And it's been a steady constant. The words have been good for my heart. Because sometimes in our life, there are a gazillion things telling us who we are and who we aren't, what we should do and what we shouldn't do. And so as I've gone to this passage over time, and most recently, it's just been like a retreat for my heart. Because the more we learn about God, the more we learn about what he has to say about us. And when I see who God is, it helps me to love his people better. It helps me to love those around me. So if you have a Bible on you or in your device and you want to follow along, I would encourage you to grab it. And we are going to turn to Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. And forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desire with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower on the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The more we understand about who God is, the less we have that desire to look around and compare ourselves in ways that bring disunity. Because the more we know who God is, 
the more humble it makes us and the more it grows our love for one another. Love also sacrifices the desire to criticize those around us harshly when they mess up. And instead, love chooses to call them up and champion them. Imagine for a moment that you're Paul, that you have taken your energy and your love and your heart and you've poured it into creating something that matters the church in Corinth as he established it. Imagine that you had poured everything you are into something, and then you leave for a little bit, and not long after that, you start to hear that, that things are not the way you left them, that some of the people there are starting to feel prideful and arrogant. Now imagine writing them a letter. Imagine writing them a letter what would that letter start like? What amazes me as I go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians and I think about the way Paul addresses the people there. I'm amazed in some ways that the first thing he does is to call them up and remind them of who they are. He doesn't bully them. He doesn't put them in their place. Tell them what they should have done. Tell him he can't believe what they have done. Instead, Paul calls them up because he sees them as brothers and sisters. He calls them up and he reminds them who they are in Christ. He starts by telling them that they're called to be Christ's holy people together with everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. He asks them to have grace and the peace of God he tells them how he thanks God for them and reminds them that it's through God that they are growing. He reminds them that they don't lack any spiritual gifts, that they're called into fellowship with Jesus because love calls others up and reminds them who they are in the new creation as a follower of Jesus so that, so that newer believers, their faith can be strengthened and so that those who are watching, because we all know the world is watching, people are watching the way we interact with one another. So that as people are watching, they may also believe that God sent his son. The more we see others the way that God sees them, the more that we'll walk with them, reminding them who they are in Christ. We will sacrifice the desire we have to be critical for the privilege that we have to walk alongside of someone, the privilege that we have. Instead of judging them, we will walk with them, knowing that they are our brothers and sisters. The more we love others, the more we pray for them, the more we seek to maintain that, that unity. And when we need to address something, because we're all human, and we know that we need to address things from time to time in love. In love, we can address them. Then we can remember that as we look at that person, that their value and their worth is not decided by what they just did or what they just said. We will remember that their worth is at the cross alone. That is the only place that we can find their worth. And then like Paul, we can step into the mess 
And we can communicate truth in love. Because when we communicate truth in love, we are being like Jesus. Love sees the other parts of the body as brothers and sisters who we get the privilege of walking with. Another thing that love sacrifices is our human tendency to compare what we've been entrusted with to what those around us have been entrusted with. In the parable of the bags of gold, the master trusted everyone with some gold, each of the servants with some gold. To one he gave five bags, another two, and to another one. But each was entrusted with some things of value. And just like that, we've been entrusted with some things that are valuable. And how we see God will largely influence how we handle the things that we've been entrusted with. Maybe he's entrusted you with a salary. The more we walk with God, the more we realize that everything we have has been entrusted to us. So maybe that's the first time that that we're thinking that our salary is something that's been entrusted to us. Or maybe he's entrusted you with a family or a circle of influence. Maybe he's entrusted you with wisdom or knowledge, empathy or hospitality. Maybe he's entrusted you with leadership or a heart to serve others. Each of us have been entrusted with something. So when when we look at, at the body of Christ, in the form of an Ninjago right now, God knows each part of this body intimately because he created it. He created each and every part individually and collectively. He knows the mouth. He knows each muscle, each ligament, each of the pieces we can and cannot see. He knows the family that we were born into and he knows the things that he's entrusted to us. But here's the thing. It takes sacrifice And it takes work to stop looking at the others around us and what they've been entrusted with. It takes work to be like the first and second servants in this parable, who both see who God is and they see what's been entrusted to them. They see both of those things. It takes work to to see God and to carefully explore what he's entrusted us with. To see those things, each of us have this unique intersection of of gifts and passions and experience that God wants to use in a unique way. But seeing what he's entrusted with us is, is our responsibility because God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him because he does not want us to be like the third servant, the servant who who buried the gifts and then turned and accused the giver of the gifts. God doesn't want that for us. The entire body of Christ has been entrusted with the commandment to love God and to love others. Our role is not to build unity. That was the work of God. But our role is to maintain and to preserve the unity of the body of Christ through love, knowing that comparison kills the kind of unity that Jesus longs for his body to have, that he's created for us. Comparison kills that, but love, 
Love sacrifices pride for humility. It sacrifices our tendency to be critical for the privilege to walk with one another. And it sacrifices looking around at what other people have been entrusted with, because that's easy, to the hard work of looking within and walking with God and saying, what have you entrusted to me? So love sacrifices. Our unity is established by love. It's bound by love. It's maintained by love. But it's all for a purpose. Because God knew that one day, Faith Church was going to exist. God knew that right here, there would be a mess, that there would be people who are committed followers, and that they would be sitting next to those who are curious, and everywhere in between. He knew that this mess would exist, and he prayed. He prayed for his body to be unified. He prayed for us to be unified so that, so that the Lehigh Valley would know that God sent his son, that God did the ultimate sacrifice for love, the love that he has for us. And together, as we, as we embrace love and as we choose love, we can erase those lines and replace them with the truth of who God says we are. So as you leave today, there are these red buckets, and inside those buckets, there are a bunch of Legos. And one of those Legos represent you. I would encourage you to grab the Lego. And over the next 24 hours, take some time, look at the Lego. Consider who God is. Consider what he's entrusted to you process and pray. Ask God what it looks like for you to live from a place of sacrificial love. And then grab a marker and on that Lego, write a word. A word that means something to you. Maybe it's something that, that God has entrusted to you and for the first time you're going to consider what part of the body that might play. I would also ask that you keep that Lego somewhere where you're going to see it. Let it be a reminder to you. Let it remind you that you have a part in this body. Let it remind you that now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Let it remind you that you're loved. That you are not measured by the last thing you said or did, but your worth is found on the cross alone. Let it remind us of the privilege that we have to walk with one another. And let it remind us of the love that binds us together in perfect unity. Let's pray. God, thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. I pray that each one of us would spend time with you, that we would walk with you. And as we walk with you, that we would understand more of the audacious love you have for each one of us. God, let us keep our eyes on you. Let us love you. Let us love the people around us so that people will know that you sent your one and only son. 
We love you. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.